Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now, here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Our podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading ABA provider serving families across the country. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. I recorded this interview with the intention of it being released during April, Autism Acceptance Month, and as it turns out, it will most likely come out a little bit after April is over, which is actually fine, because the themes of inclusion, acceptance, respect, support, and all the things that fall under this umbrella of acceptance and awareness are not confined to April and are really topics that are important to discuss and take action on all year long. I'm happy to invite Christopher Banks, the president and CEO of the Autism Society of America, to talk about the shift from autism awareness to autism acceptance. Christopher Banks, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can I call you Chris? Please, please, unless you're going to yell at me. Uh, Chris, I would first love it if you could just sort of tell our listeners a little bit about the Autism Society of America's mission you know, how the organization works to provide services, um, and just give us a little intro. Sure. So the Autism Society of America was founded in 1965 by a group of parents in Teaneck, New Jersey, who were trying to address a, a really basic issue, and that was that schools were not providing supports and services for their children who ha- had these neurodiverse uh, situations, which we now start to call on a much more common vernacular autism. And uh, that really is a start from Teaneck, New Jersey, and, and it has morphed into a, an, a, a network of affiliates in 31 states across the United States, 75 affiliates. Um, we're the oldest and the largest national grassroots organization focused on improving the lives of individuals impacted by autism. And that, that is the, the short way of saying, you know, we're across the country trying to make a difference for individuals with autism and those whose lives are impacted by autism. Amazing. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I think most of our listeners have information about and some probably many of them even have experience with diagnosis of children with autism. Um, One thing that I would love to ask you about, just something that's come up more and more uh, lately is adults who suspect that they might be autistic and sort of, you know, how, how, how those folks go about you know, looking into this, and particularly women, because I know that uh, that diagnosis of women is, is an issue in and of itself. So Absolutely. I'm just wondering, yeah, what, what do you have? So, so no, Catherine, let's take a pause for a second as we think about that. So think about a, let's call her a 25-year-old, okay? Or 30-year-old okay. woman yep. who is educated, mm-hmm. maybe has a, a, a bachelor's or a post-bachelor's degree, but hasn't quite been able to get and hold a job, okay. right? And some of the social skills and graces may have been off, just not connecting, right? And as a result, there's been term, turnover where she's uncomfortable at the workplace or she's mm-hmm. having trouble verbalizing and expressing herself, mm-hmm. but yet she can solve all the issues and the problems and the challenges that are, that are in front of her as a task within the work, right? Mm-hmm. And then she, she says, something's just not right. What do I do? And typically she has um, 
gone to her medical professional for some services and supports. And, and if, if her medical professional is astute and, 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 and is really thoughtful and caring and compassionate, may expand where she is going for help and support and services. And maybe it's a psychologist, psychiatrist who mm-hmm. will be able to evaluate what are some of the challenges this individual is overcoming to get that diagnosis. And, and what I just created for you, mm-hmm. what I just told you is really not a fabrication of my mind. That's the reality of some one person that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, That is what she had to encounter. And she talked about this experience in a really unique way for me. She said, Chris, you know, all my life, I've been trying to have the conversation, three conversations ahead of what's actually happened. Yeah, that is right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, think of three dimensional chess, uh-huh. right? And I, that's what I always go through. It's such a complex thing. And she said to me, I was exhausted. So I was going to the doctor for that medical condition. I'm always so exhausted. And right. as she shared with her physician what was going on, her physicians, oh, there's more here than this. There's more than this. It's more than just tired or fatigue. And the, the physician was astute enough mm-hmm. to say, we need to do some more evaluation. And she ends up going to a psychiatrist who was able to look at this and, and, and do a variety of tests that allow for an understanding of what's really happening. And as a result, she's diagnosed with autism. Well, then what happens? Well, now she's got program supports and services that she makes herself available to. She connects in a different way that she just couldn't understand or connect with in the past. And as a result, she starts to recognize who she is differently and accept who she is, right? And then excel and then can go on in a better framework of what's happening. And And for that individual in particular, do you know personally if, you know, what the impact has been on her work life? And she, she has, she has risen within the corporate rank and she holds a senior position at a large work organization, a worldwide organization. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, you know, not uncommon, right? So we, we've talked about a young woman, right? Who gets diagnosed in, in her mid to late twenties. It was several years ago, several years ago, as a result of COVID-19, I've had the opportunity to, to talk with so many individuals on the spectrum and one of the gentlemen I spoke with, as we were talking about adjusting to COVID and, and what those challenges are in our lives, he talked about just being diagnosed two years ago, mm-hmm. a 39-year-old male, mm-hmm. and, and getting that diagnosis. And that, that sense of acceptance is really an important thing. And I know I'm using that word as we're in Autism Acceptance Month, mm-hmm. but boy, doesn't that change the way I think about who I am? right? It's think this one. If somebody said to you today, you're going to write with your other hand. Oh, couldn't do it. Right. And then you just have to come to this point of acceptance that that's not what I will be able to do. Mm -hmm. And okay. All right. So instead of having to write with your other hand, use the keyboard. Mm -hmm. I can accept it. I'm never going to be able to write with my left hand, but I have another tool. I have an accommodation mm-hmm. and I can accept that and then I can move on. I really want to delve deeper into that acceptance theme in a minute. Sure. 
But first, you had mentioned COVID-19, and I was curious about what the Autism Society has done to support the autism community throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's been, uh, you know, it's obviously been really difficult on everyone, all individuals. But I imagine, you know, some going without supports and, you know, some individuals with who are neurodiverse might have had even more of a difficult time than some of us. Yeah. Um, you know, Catherine, COVID-19 has had devastating effect for the autism and, and the greater IDD, intellectual development of the disability community. Um, through uh, a, a Facebook live series that we launched last March, 13 months ago, I've heard countless stories of educational and service interruptions, modifications in work and We've seen, we've heard about isolation. We've even seen, unfortunately, increased death rates, right? Um, We know that typically individuals with autism are more likely to have comorbidities and live in Mm -hmm. congregate settings. Um, So COVID's had a bigger impact there, right? Um, Unfortunately, recent data is is proven that the intellectual disabilities community um, are at a greater risk for COVID-19's mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, why am I spending time with that? Because we knew that was information we had to get out. So we have used our tool and our mechanisms to make sure we're sharing information about what people need to know about COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We were the first national autism organization to provide a COVID-19 toolkit and resources to support the autism community. Um, I remember well, very well, uh, being on the phone with my senior management team and saying, we have to provide resources that people can use that are timely, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to be the ones who are going to be the authority on COVID-19. Let's rely on the CDC, the Mm -hmm. NIH. Let those experts tell us about COVID-19. Let's provide the resources that are relevant and reliable and important for individuals on the spectrum and their families about COVID-19 and autism. So, so there was, yeah, there was so much in the news and all over everywhere, you know, right. so and we so put, you were sort of acting as a, a filter or, or a, you know, you, mm-hmm. you took all that information that was relevant to them, put it in one place, yeah. made it acceptable, made sure right. people it was there. And, and we, have a, we have a great resource and information team, and we have all of our affiliate networks, and we have a panel of professional advisors that are in the world of academia and medicine. And they were so generous in providing information for us to filter through. You know, so then we were able to put together in the toolkit social stories about masks and hand washing and hygiene, right? Great. Yeah. We then were able to put together things about testing and what does testing look like. And, Think about a child who's on the spectrum, who's used to going to a clinical setting for a doctor, and all of a sudden, the testing is taking place at a parking lot in their car. And what a change that is, right? And we we know that individuals on the spectrum tend to identify with routines more closely Mm -hmm. than others do, and and progressions and steps. And hey, we're going to the doctor's office. It happens to be in the shopping lot, the parking lot of the shopping store today. That's Mm -hmm. different, right? And, And it's different for neurotypicals as well as for neurodiverse people. Right, and all our routines to, right? just disappeared overnight. Right. We then used our toolkit to make sure that we were providing some guidance for, for routines. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, at Facebook Live allowed me to talk to parents who were talk to, teaching their children about life skills. 
I know one woman who let her daughter um, overturn her entire front lawn into a garden so she could teach her daughter. The daughter wanted to do gardening and they taught about that. Then they did vegetables. And then what she do? There are more vegetables than the family can eat. So she starts putting the vegetables out on the street for the people to come and take who need them. What a great story about life skills yeah. and about learning, right? And, and I'm sure it was happening around the country in different ways and even around the world. But people on the autism spectrum and in the autism community were telling us these stories. And then we use the toolkit to make sure that we provided information about returning to school, returning to work, because we thought that was going to happen much sooner than it has. Right. But those toolkits are there. And then in December, um, excuse me, let me just say this. Again, talking with the senior management team and our panel of professional advisors as recent as early as June, I said, we need to address vaccination because we know that's what's right. going to come down. And that's a challenging topic for the autism community because of the history uh, and the misinformation and the miseducation about vaccines that has promulgated this environment. As a result, we started to put together material with the CDC Mm -hmm. about the vaccine that we saw coming down the pike. And then we encouraged the other autism organizations and other IDD organizations. And we got 20 of them to co-sign a, a request wow. that we have the CDC think about the autism community and the IDD community when thinking mm -hmm. about protocols for distribution of the vaccine. And thus the IDD community was in the first phase yeah. in, in group C, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that just wasn't happening. We have states in this country where the governors hadn't put the developmental disability community on in their algorithm for providing PPE, right? For group homes or congregate settings. Mm -hmm. and, and so we at the Autism Society through the, the generosity of Make Waves Family Foundation distributed 54,000 masks to group homes in hotspots around the United States. That's not a huge number, but it is a big number because we wanted to provide direct, relevant information and resources right away. And uh, that's how we thought it was best for us to respond to COVID. We made a conscious decision to not tie it to fundraising. We weren't selling any merchandise around it. We weren't trying to, yes, we asked for support, but we weren't tying it to it. So we made the toolkit available for free. We gave it to any organization that wanted it. MBA charities picked it up. Folks in Sweden wrote to us and asked us if they could use it. Hey, wow. if it's going to help you communicate with the autism community, we want you to take it and use it and run with it. And that's what organizations did. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I wanted to get into um, the next topic, which, you know, for a very long time, I wouldn't say as long as I can remember, but for a very long time, April has been all about autism awareness. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I've seen the feelings in the community around that term mm -hmm. shift gradually over the years. And then it seemed like this year there was like really a seismic shift. Um, and I think, you know, your organization being, I think, one of the first ones to embrace acceptance rather than awareness. And I know that that decision that you and the Autism Society made influenced Learn's decision uh, to do the same thing. So could you talk a little bit about what Autism Acceptance Month is and why the Autism Society has decided to make this shift in sure. awareness? Sure. 
So let me, let me um, if you don't mind, go back a little bit. So the Autism okay. Society of America has a history in autism awareness. Back mm-hmm. when we were called the National Children's Society, a National Society for Autistic Children, uh-huh. back in the 70s, way back then, we had advocated to Congress to recognize autism ex- uh, awareness. Uh-huh. And uh, eventually it evolved. It originally was in August, by the way, and it evolved. It, it was promoted to be in January, and then it moved to April. And we at the Autism Society of America and, and some of our affiliates were instrumental in that. And, and awareness has been a part of our dialogue and our conversation for a long time. We're not the only organization, as you rightly said, that have been using the word acceptance. This year, we decided to put financial resources behind that because we saw it as important. Um, The autism, the Autistic Self-Advocate Network, ASAN, has been using acceptance for about since 2018, probably. Mm -hmm. 17, excuse me, 2012, 2012. The Autism Society of America has written about acceptance as recently as 2000 or as old as 2018. Mm -hmm. When I listen to our self-advocates, we have a panel of people on the spectrum of autism over the last year talk about accommodations that needed to be made because of COVID. When I listen to what they were talking about, their experience was were or are with underemployment or unemployment or their lack of support services, or the challenges with home and community-based services. As I listened to that, I saw an opportunity for us to try and shift the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so we went and said, how do we shift that? We shift that from acceptance. And and there's a young man by the name of Harry Narasavani, who is from uh, UC Berkeley, who's on our panel of people on the spectrum. And I interviewed him back in August of the last summer. And we talked about this whole idea of acceptance and and he talked about inclusion. And I started, we started thinking more about that. Acceptance leads to inclusion, inclusion leads to belonging is how I started to think this through. And so the more we talked about it, it's one thing to be aware there's an individual with autism on your street or in your block or in your workplace. Mm-hmm. It's another to make sure you're doing what you need to do to make sure that they're accepted as an individual on the spectrum and a member of your community. I love telling this little story, um, and it's a little bit about my personal history as a, 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 as a um, softball and baseball coach. You know, when you have a child who doesn't play softball real well or mm-hmm. isn't very good at it, he or she ends up in right field, correct? That's right? right. That's where I played. How did you know? And what happens when you're in right field? You're, you're not paying attention to the game, no. right? You're picking up dandelions. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're doing cartwheels. You're watching yep. what's going on in the other field, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you, you can identify with what I'm saying, right? I, I know. That. I, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> As a coach, if you accept that that child might not be the best softball player on your team, what you want to bring her into the game, then you put her on the infield mm-hmm. and you put her at second base where she's not going to get as much action, but she's going to have to watch every pitch because you don't know if that ball is going to come at you. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to put her in a position where she's going to get hurt. So I'm going to teach her how to ground her, field a grounder, how to catch a fly ball, how to make that throw to first or to the shortstop who's covering second. 
Now, a lot of sport analogy, but the, the whole point of it is, it's one thing to know Janie's autistic. It's another to say, Janie, would you like to play softball? Would you like to learn? Would you like to feel a part of it? And all of a sudden, I've just invited her world to get a little bit bigger, even if it's by nine or 10 other girls. And, and for me, that's really um, a grounded way of looking at what's the difference between include acceptance and awareness. It's mm -hmm. one thing to know that somebody has autism. It's another to say, I know they have autism, but I still want them to be a part of this community. I want them to get the most out of this experience. And by the way, everybody else benefits from it too. Absolutely. Everybody, because all of a sudden we start to learn about your other interests. And all of a sudden, you know, mm -hmm. when the girls are doing the cheers, she's leading in a whole nother rhyme and poetry that the kids don't get. And if you're a softball coach, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? They spend more time with their cheers than they do with the game. I don't care. <laughs> They're involved. They're part of a community. They have a sense of belonging, right? Yeah. Well, I love that analogy. I think, honestly, I mean, it, I love that you also not only used the analogy of just including her in the game, but moving her, but but not not as sort of like a token out in right field where she's not doing anything, but up there in second base where not only is she going to be, you know, more in the mix, she's going to get better quicker. She's going right. to get more opportunities. Exactly. Um, and exactly. I, think, I, I just love that as, as a as an analogy for, for what we need to do and, and to accept that's who our second baseman is going to be. And it's more important to have everyone on the team than it is to make sure everybody going to second base is going to get out because you've got your, you know, one of your star players there. Right. And, and, you know, so I use that analogy because it's my, it's my life as a, as a dad who taught his kids little league teams. Right. But it also applies to our workplace. Yeah. I talk to potential employers of individuals on the spectrum or a neurodiverse community. And I keep talking to them about, you, stop thinking about this from an altruistic point of view. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking about, oh, we're a great corporate citizen because we're hiring individuals on the spectrum. That's not bad. But isn't it greater to accept who they are as individuals who have skills and talents that your company needs who are on the spectrum. And so then make the accommodations, which are usually nowhere near as dramatic as people think they're going to be, and make those accommodations so that you can accept who they are, include them in your workplace, change your corporate culture, and change the economy. Far yeah. better for our society to have as many individuals on the spectrum working fully to their ability capacity than not. So I have a question for you. You know, for these, for these people who are discovering in their 20s, in their 30s, you know, maybe some of them even later, uh, that they have autism, mm -hmm. and then going to their employers um, to sort of ask for supports, what are the types of things that, you know, presumably if, if someone's getting a diagnosis this late in life, they have, you know, been able to learn language. They have been able to sort of like, you know, make it through school in some way. Um, they've been able to get a job, you know, sometimes, maybe sometimes yeah. not. So, you know, certainly the, the women have been, you know, madly masking their, their symptom, you know, their, uh, their autistic characteristics for a long time. They're exhausted. Like, 
you know, so so there's that sort of assumes that there's sort of like a you know a, a great deal of functioning there right but what can employers do to actually make life make work life better for those folks who have who have done well enough to get that far yeah so so interesting the example what you've just described right she, that that woman has been making accommodations her whole life yeah to fit into the paradigm of the corporate culture or the corporate environment she's in. Yeah. Okay. What we're encouraging employers to do is make accommodations to accept her for who she is and how she processes what she processes to deliver the product you're looking for, the end result, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. um, so obviously it's very important. Um, more companies are having diversity and inclusion offices as a part of their HR department. Very important to, to avail yourself of that if you're an individual on the spectrum and, and especially later in life to say, you know, I'm here and these are the things that I've been working through. And, you know, I, I don't have personal experience with being diagnosed late in life to say this is where we're later on life. But I can say that what, I, what I'm reading and what I'm hearing people say is that when an individual on the spectrum comes to us and, and tells us that they need accommodations, they're never that dramatic or severe. Okay. Right? And, and I like to remind all of us, from March 1st of last year to March 14th of last year, we changed the entire economic structure of this country and how we do business and how we go to school and how we go to our churches or socialize. We accommodated the, mm -hmm. the whole society's mm -hmm. limitation because of COVID. Now, and we found out that some of those accommodations were way got way better results than the right old now, now, things. All and of I a sudden, you know, people are working virtually, people yeah. are learning, not without challenges. I'm not belittling sure. the challenges. Please, I, I, I've heard horrific stories of, you know, bank tellers saying, I'm a bank teller. Now you're asking me to be a school teacher. And you're asking me to run a school on the same table that I'm trying to feed my family, fold the laundry, and balance the checking account. I've right? That and, life. Yep. Right? And we, yep. But we make accommodations. Those accommodations are also part of acceptance, right? These are my limitations. So, so maybe people can't get it done the same way they used to get it done, you know? And maybe some have to go to, to the workplace to produce what they produce or to manufacture what they manufacture or provide what they provide, essential workers. And so we have to put some masks on and make accommodations for that. So I think that what, what all of this to come back to is we have experience as a society for making accommodations to allow us to work. Mm -hmm. So an individual with autism should have, has every right and should have every opportunity for their employer to make accommodations to allow them to do the work they need to do. It's a human rights issue. Absolutely. And Catherine, if we don't approach this as a human rights issue, mm -hmm. we're always going to be looking at it as an altruistic solution. Right. And that to me is a gross injustice to society, to our economy and to the individual on the spectrum. Amen. I'm imagining that these folks who are in the workforce are having trouble with perhaps communicating difficult messages, 
perhaps communicating with supervisors, perhaps, you know, maybe having miscommunications or communicating in a way that is offensive to people, perhaps having difficulties working in groups, um, you know, sort of collaborating with others. What are the types of accommodations that that you're hearing about most frequently? So, so you know, I, I'm on the, I, I can give a personal example of this. At the Autism Society of America, we hire individuals on the spectrum who work with us. Mm-hmm. And so I need, uh, not having any exposure to autism in any formal setting prior to coming to the Autism Society, I needed to learn that. And as a manager, I need to learn that some may not be able to look me in the eye mm-hmm. when I'm used to that, right? So it, it's that simple thing. Or, you know, we instituted here at the Autism Society a weekend. We were only a week into this shutdown, virtual exposure work, a weekly huddle. And I wanted very much to make sure that we were in touch with all of our employees to see how they were doing. And, and what, what we started to do is every Friday, and we still do it today, we gather at one o'clock on Friday afternoon. It's a mandatory attendance unless you have some work function or activity and your supervisor is aware of it, where you have to be on camera. I want to see you, Catherine. I want to see how you look. I want to know what the workspace behind you looks like. If I'm, if I'm watching, and, and by the way, I might be able to see, on, we're on Zoom for those who don't know what we're doing right now, but this is being recorded by Zoom. So I can see Catherine's room and I can see a ginger ale can behind her, Right. Now, when I'm on Zoom with my colleagues and they're, sh- they're on camera and their kitchen is behind me and I see pizza boxes, yeah. I, I can start to wonder whether or not he or she's eating appropriately, mm. right? When, I'm on cam- when they're on camera and I can see them and I say, hmm, they're not taking care of themselves the way I thought. Doesn't look like they're sleeping. Doesn't look like they're doing some personal hygiene. Mm-hmm. We get to do that. Now, why am I sharing this? Because those are slight job and life skill things that coach that uh, employers can do, right? I think other accommodations that we're hearing is understanding that people may have to come off screen. It's just too much. It's sensory overload when I have a panel or a gallery of, of 80 people. It's mm-hmm. just too much. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. But at least I got to see you for a little bit. Now I know you're coming off screen, right? Yeah. Or you know, one of the challenges might be not being able to jump into the conversation like you would if you were in the conference room, right? Yeah. Or the other side of it, if you join late, jumping in and saying, I'm here, I'm sorry, I was late, I didn't mean, nobody yeah. cares, <laughs> you're here, let's yeah. move on, right? Unless you missed your section of the agenda. Mm-hmm. Again, accommodations, right? It's just adjusting to it. And we know that structure is an important part of of, of, of managing for an individual with autism and on the spectrum. And so- I was just gonna say agendas, they must, <laughs> coaching, right. coaching folks to use agendas when they're and, working with neurodiverse individuals, I imagine. Yep. Be and, and you know, one of the things I've had to learn is I can't just hand something to somebody and say, take it and go with it. Mm-hmm. If they're on the spectrum, they want this individual wants that structure. Tell me what it is you want me to do in a linear fashion yeah. so that I know that I'm meeting your expectations. So I, this shift to acceptance um, from awareness was a really welcome change for me. I think we needed awareness for so mm-hmm. long. 
Um, and now I feel like there are, there is a lot of awareness Still a few areas that, that, that could do with more awareness, but, but really acceptance is the key issue. I'm yeah. wondering though, I had a very positive reaction to this. What has been the reaction that you've gotten from the general public and also from the autistic community? So, so I think that um, as one could expect, you know, the autism community is a diverse community and we hear that all the time and the spectrum is broad and wide or the sphere is large and all inclusive. It's a, I think that the reaction to it is based on how people have treated them in the past, mm. right? But there's also hopefulness, right? That this will lead to a different conversation or a different type of conversation. Let me be very clear. We are always going to need to have awareness of autism. Mm. And we're always going to need to heighten our sense of awareness for what's happening, right? So let me give you an example. So. You know, you're in the grocery store and you see a parent with a child having a, a communication challenge, right? What yeah. some may call, what some may call a meltdown, okay? They're, they're struggling for communication is what I, I always like to think about is they're having trouble communicating what they're thinking, feeling, or experiencing. And we call that a meltdown, right? So mm -hmm. I'm aware of it. I can see it, right? There's a meltdown on aisle four, Right. Well, acceptance is going over to that parent saying, is there anything I can do to help you? Mm -hmm. How about I do this for you? Would it be okay if I bag those for you to make it easier for you? That's acceptance, right? And we're going to need that awareness. Hey, this parent, that child is different. You know, the old expression, you know, you never know a person until you walk a mile in their shoes, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and don't judge just by what you see, get Take that risk to accept, hey, this, this parent may be doing the best they can. Yeah. I think that what we're hearing from the autism community, from my panel of people on the spectrum of autism, which is a guiding force in the autism society because they help set direction for what we're doing, they felt this was long overdue. Mm -hmm. right? There's a fear that we're not going to be doing enough. There's right. a fear that, that we're concerned that oh, acceptance is going to be complacency or mm -hmm. tolerance, and that's not what it means. Right. Acceptance for me is not that I approve of it, right? Or that I like it. It's that it is. Recognize that it is. And then what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Right? You can't just have that cerebral experience. You have to get visceral. You have to get engaged. You have to move a muscle. Yeah, I like that because I, I do think that there are probably, I think that those fears. Um, of the autism community that that it sort of could be just complacency um, are well founded, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, when when we're really talking about acceptance, we mean embracing them, not just tolerating them, but celebrating them, and yeah. and really acknowledging that we are part of one community. Well, I, you just, what a great segue because, you know, what, what can people do? Well, they can celebrate difference by, by recognizing my own difference, their difference. Mm -hmm. And that, that doesn't make me better, less than, or greater than, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, we're doing a, a lot around hashtag celebrate differences with the idea of getting people to recognize that difference is good. 
right? In this society, in, in what we have gone through over the last year with diversity and inclusion and racial tensions and economic tensions and COVID, if we really need to be thinking about diversity and inclusion, including the autism community in that. We're also doing some work with I, hashtag I am to allow people to tell us about their difference and to celebrate that. And we're getting great photos of, of families and siblings and individuals on the spectrum who are sharing what it means to be different in their world and, and right. celebrating it. Different, not odd, different. And I have these opportunities and these checks and I can bring this to it. You know, um, I think it's important that we remember that when talking with and working with and living with and praying with and playing softball with an individual with autism. It's not about what they can't do. It's about what they can do. Yeah. Let's not focus on what I can't bring to the table. Let's mm -hmm. focus on what I do bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Now, just for our listeners who are interested, who, who are hashtag savvy, um, it was at hashtag I am as in I letters I am. Correct. Hashtag I Twitter, Sorry. Instagram, all of the above. All of the above. Okay. All of the above. We are on all of the social channels. And so LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can get us at, at Autism Society of America or Autism Society. But those hashtags, I am and the hashtag celebrate differences, um, allow people to send materials, information. It's also where you can send support for the Autism Society of America. Fantastic. Well, I have so appreciated your coming to talk to us today. Uh, I My really pleasure. appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, it's just been amazing and lovely to meet you. Likewise, Catherine. Thank you. And thanks for the work you all are doing. And, uh, you know, together we are going to increase the acceptance of the autism community and recognize all that the autism community brings to the, to the universe, to our communities, to our society. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. However you chose to honor Autism Acceptance Month, know that there are opportunities for all of us to continue to learn from, connect with, and respect everyone within our communities. The Autism Society of America is a wonderful organization that has chapters all across the country. And there are also many local organizations out there doing great work. So if you're looking for an opportunity to get involved, there are many to choose from. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We appreciate your ratings and reviews if you're so inclined. And if you have show ideas or question for us, email us at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at, at Autism Therapies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.